Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Talking Pictures podcast. Normally, we open the podcast with some funny outtakes from the recording session, but for this week's edition of the podcast, we didn't think that would be appropriate. We taped this episode the day after the ambush killings of police officers in Dallas and the officer-involved shootings of two black men in Louisiana and Minnesota. We hope our conversation with former Dispatch Argus reporter and local African-American leader Brandy Donaldson can help shed a little light on the media's role in telling these tragic stories and the resulting fallout. I would encourage you to listen to the entire episode. I think you'll find our conversation very thought-provoking and honest. Thanks for listening. One, two, three on my mic. Testing one, two, three on my mic. Testing one, two, three on my mic. I'm Todd Meisner. I'm Todd Wilbert. And I'm Meg McLaughlin. And we're talking pictures, but we're talking pictures kind of in a loose sense because we're really talking about the media today. And our guest today is uh, a former colleague of, of Todd and mine, a uh, former reporter at the paper, and uh, currently uh, an African-American leader in the Quad Cities here, very... Um, She's one of the smartest people I know, and uh, Brandy Donaldson, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. You're very, very, way too kind. Well, if, I'm, if I'm the smartest person you know, Todd, you got to get out for me. I said, <laughs> one of the smartest? Welvert, okay, pays, one of the, Welvert pays me to tell him to tell people he's one of the smartest, so you can take that for whatever it's worth. That's right. Um, okay. I thought it would okay. be I thought it would be interesting to talk to you today uh, as a former member of the media and somebody who is involved in. I, I guess I should say to our listeners that we're taping this in the wake of the Dallas shootings and the and the and the shooting police involved shootings of Philando Castile and and uh, Alton Sterling. So we're like, fret- yeah, the, the, the news is like super fresh and we're kind of treading on thin ice here, I think in some respect, because we don't fully know. I mean, we're not here to debate um, who's guilty of what, but what I'm interested okay. in is, is, is talking about how, uh, I guess the overarching theme would be the, the media is predominantly white, at least here in the, in the Quad Cities. And so... How do we, the media, cover these unthinkable situations that are happening in and for, against the African American community? How do how do we do this without being, how do, without pandering or without, I don't know, I, I don't know. Do you have any suggestions? Well, you know, the media. There's been a lot of times that I've been pretty disappointed in the media. I'm not saying that in the in the local sense, but just overall in, in coverage. Um, you, you have to cover anything when you're talking about human beings and, and the loss of human lives. Cover it with humanity, no matter what uh, color the subject may be. It doesn't matter what color the victim is or the assailant, so to speak. You know, cover, cover these situations with humanity, especially in situations where the facts are a little slow coming, like what's happening this week. You know, we don't even have all the facts yet of uh, the two murders, the one in Louisiana and the one in Minnesota. We know what we've seen from the videos that were shot, and we, we can all look at those images and, and make conclusions. However, um, when you're covering these individuals who have lost their lives, give them some humanity because they're gone. You know, I, I think the media, especially a lot of times when they're covering someone who's African-American, it it seems to jump to the conclusion of let's dig into this person's past, you know, let's find all the reasons why possibly we can justify them dying the way that they did. And it really takes the humanity away from from these individuals. Uh, And that sometimes is what's so disappointing. Whereas when the, the victim may be of a different nationality, we don't see that happen quite as much. You know, we don't see let's jump to those negative conclusions. Well, this person has a record or, or this person has been in trouble before, or, you know, this person was, you know, it, that, that's the disappointing part. So I think what we can do as the media, especially until we get full facts is just really, you know, think of, think of people as human beings and, and give them some humanity when we're covering. Uh, I, I would agree with you. 
I, I, there's nothing about that that I don't disagree with, Todd. Do you have anything to add? No, huh? I'm, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's delicate because I think what you see is a lot of people uh, will point out, you know, the victim's past, um, you know, especially, you know, and I don't mean to specifically point at, you know, one incident, but um, as to whether or not it may or may not have bearing on, on the the happenstance that occurred. So, it, I mean, it, it, it puts media in a difficult spot, too, I think. Well, the... the, yeah, the but, but, you know, if, 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 for example, you know, the, the incident happens and their past completely, could be completely irrelevant to the actual incident, you know, it's like I said, especially when we don't have complete facts yet, so I think jumping to that conclusion is the mistake. Do you think jumping that the, the, the do you think that's part of the twenty four? It's a casualty of the twenty four hour news cycle. Uh, you know, it, it, I guess one could say that it's also a casualty of you know everyone's on social media now, so it's easy when we have you know a victim, you can just go into their social media and perhaps start looking at things, and you can even misconstrue things that they may post and. And, and really, we think we can. We know this person based on their record or based on you know what we see in their social media. So it, it could be that, or it could just be conscious. You know, I, I think it comes down to you know uh, an issue of, of mutual respect. You know, what people do we respect when they're victims versus the people we don't respect as victims? You know, that's kind of what it comes down to for me. It, it seems like it's very hard you know, for a minority to be, you know, respected as a victim. It's always this person is was killed, but, right. you know, and it's like, why do we always have the but that comes in? Whereas a lot of other times when we're talking about victims who may be, you know, white, we don't really do that. You know, this person is a victim and we're sorry and that's it. You know, there's no, this person was a victim, but, and then we start naming all these other things. So, um, you know, I, I would love to see the media be more conscious of that. And then when you get all of the facts and things are presented in a factual way, of course you present those facts the way they are. Right. The facts, give those facts out exactly how they exist and leave it at that. But, you know, sometimes we jump to those conclusions way before we know anything else about the circumstances of the incident. Right. The... Um the uh, the you and Meg attended, um, would we call it a meeting or a prayer service or a both a last night? Last night at the church. Yeah, it was really a public forum. You public know, prayer forum. was a part of it, but it, it was really a public discourse, is what I would call it. That's what it turned into. Okay, the um, the initial um, removal of the media. Uh, then Meg was, they left, and then Meg was let back in. Um, the, what is the thinking there on the, 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 the media not being there to cover? I mean, sure. did, did their whiteness have anything to do with that? And I only say that because no. No, all, they were probably all white. Well, they, it just, they just happened to all be white, yes. But, you know, most of the times that's going to happen in the quiet city because we only have, you know, less, we only have a few black reporters anyway. So most of the times you're going to see most, most of our media is going to be white when you show up to an event. However, that had any, didn't have anything to do with it. I, I've been to other meetings where this has happened too. Oh, okay. And it's because of, it, it's because of people's, people kind of shut down when they know that the cameras are on them and they, they, they are not as open as when those cameras leave. Not everyone likes that spotlight. You know, some people love to be interviewed. Some people love to speak out. You know, I have no problem being interviewed by the media. I was a part of the media for a long time. That, that's something I don't mind. But that's not, the, the average person really doesn't want that necessarily, I find. You know, they don't want pictures taken of, taken of them. Um, you know, they don't want their words dissected and, and you know, then you know, republished or shown on television. So I think it had to do with the fact that they wanted everyone who attended to be comfortable. This is a sensitive subject we're talking about. Well, that's exactly, you know, that's it, exactly right. And it's a subject that um, it is, for some people, hard to digest. 
for some people, it's really hard to talk about, too. And, and so I think having the media um, exit was simply to, you know, protect the, um, uh, to, just to protect those who didn't come knowing that they would, you know, have the media right there in their faces and didn't come for that reason. You know, they came to have a public discourse and they wanted to make sure everyone was comfortable and being open and honest you know about what they were saying you you will find that when the media is present sometimes it shuts people down you know they they don't want that attention uh, they don't want that i mean a lot of people don't trust the media that the media is even going to get things right, <laughs> right. That, that shuts people down sometimes uh, so no i mean it, I've, I've been to, to several um meetings where it's a community meeting and it'll, it'll either be one of those situations where we don't tell the media at all that this is taking place or if the media comes we're going to have to have a, a moment where the media exits so that people will feel comfortable the uh you know this is a photo podcast and we talk about pictures and photojournalism and whatnot what are the mm-hmm. the the how important are our images in uh, the way this is, this, these situations are perceived, because it seems to me that what's driving the coverage is the Facebook Live video and the cell phone video yes. of the other, and so those images keep getting replayed over and over and over again. We don't, we don't use those, so we're still photographers. So, do, do you have any thoughts on yeah. the way still photography plays in all of this? I mean, images are, images are telling the story. Um, I've been out of journalism just a few years now, about five years, I guess. It's even five, four to five years I've been out. And things have changed so much even in that period of time because everyone is now a photographer. Everyone walking around with a phone in their pocket is now a videographer, a photographer. And we get these images in rapid succession from people who aren't necessarily a part of the media but now we have social media. So everyone has a platform to start, you know, uploading images instantaneously. You don't even have to wait until the paper comes out the next day, you know, to see these images. And, and you see them, you know, over and over again. It's, but those images really tell the story. You know, still photography, I, I'm a big fan of still photography. I look back to the civil rights movement, for example, when they didn't have all of this technology and they didn't have the 24-hour news cycle and everyone with phones in their pocket. You look at the pictures that you see and that that takes you back to that age and what they were going through based on those images. I think, you know, a generation from now, people will do the same thing. They're going to look back at the photos even more so than those videos. They're going to look back at the pictures that they see and that's how they're going to be able to gauge you know, the stories of what, of what is happening right now. You know, so I think that, you know, having photographers who are willing to, to not just shoot back from afar, but photographers who really will go in and look for those internal images that say a whole lot more than just let's stand back here at a press conference and just shoot some photos. You know, I, I think... I have a lot of respect for photographers who do that. You know, the dispatch is very good at that, and we've always been good at, you know, finding uh, pictures of people that tell stories as opposed to just going in and getting that easiest shot, printing it, and then, you know, moving on. But the, the video, I mean, I, I I don't even know. It's changed journalism altogether because now, like I said, everyone has this video and everyone has this ability to, upload things instantaneously or even be live um, via social media. I mean, those, those, I'm not sure how you, how you uh, compete with those images because those images are being shared so much by the time the paper even comes out, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's the, the, the video, the, the, yeah. I mean the, the the streaming video of the from the shooting, and I mean the Dallas shooting where the guy is basically narrating it from the corner. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I just you know he was because he got caught there 
you know, the TV crews were someplace else. You know, we used to wait for right. those things for a TV crew to come in and right. and do those, and or or we someone wanted to, you know, they uploaded it. You know, before YouTube existed, people uploaded or, or wanted to sell you your their video. I've got this video of this right. fire. Do you want to buy it? And then, kind of the right. monetization of their own work went away when it was quick fame or quick, admira- yeah. you know, or 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 hits became the yeah. payment. Um, so it really, took, it really took professional journalists out of the equation anymore, you know, for for those images. Um, and it, it, it's really unfortunate, though, on the one hand, because. When I saw those images, the video, actually I saw some still photos taken from the video of, of uh, Alton and then uh, Philando, and I just I just cringe because I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if this were my brother or, or this were my loved one, and now I have to see this video incessantly of this person bleeding and, and you know, uh, gasping for air and, and struggling for their life. I have to see that incessantly forever. Yeah, see that that's that's the the live. I'm really torn on the live stream thing. I I really, I mean, I live stream some. I in I live I, I live stream some stuff the other day of from Road America here. Hey everybody, I'm at Road America. These are cars going really fast. Todd live stream. Didn't you live stream the puppy pickup? I mean, I, yeah, I just yeah, posted a video. Yeah, I mean, a dog. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it was just simple, normal, happy stuff. And yeah. then it's it's kind yeah. of it like within, I don't know, Facebook started live streaming what was a couple months ago, a month ago, somewhere in there. I'm not really good on the date, but it's not very new. No. I mean, it's not very old. Right. And inst- in in instantaneously, it has been thrust into the debate of, you know, if you were you couldn't. You probably there are broadcast rules for television that you there are certain things you can and can't do, um, exactly. and the FCC will come down on you. And this is live streaming straight into grandma's house, or some little kid mm-hmm. who can click on it and whatever. And now, you know. Well, and it's it, it brings up an interesting question because Brandy earlier you said something about the journalists kind of being irrelevant now. There, and what I fear. And I'm not suggesting that, you know, the people who videotaped these incidences had some sort of, uh, you know, narrative that they're trying to support. But there's no effort to provide information with any sort of context. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it's I saw a video of a guy uh, punching another guy on like the subway or something like that. And it was, you know, salacious or, you know, whatever. But there's no there's no context there's no you don't know what happened beforehand you don't know what was said you don't know and i'm not you know saying that in any way that these two incidences were you know anything other than what they're being portrayed as but i'm just saying that as reporters and as journalists we have a responsibility to our readers to provide information in the context at least as we understand it and now there's all this kind of this this raw feed that anybody can plug into right. And anybody can kind of cherry pick to support their narrative of, you know, what's going on out there. It's and that's what I guess I find frustrating, especially about the Facebook experience. And right now, um, it's kind of devolved into, you know, oh, so and so had a criminal record. Oh, you know, blah blah blah. You know, it's and it's just this this weird back and forth where everybody's kind of cherry picking what supports their narrative. And uh, it's just Correct. maddening. <laughs> That probably also, um, you know, angers the, the authorities as well because their investigations, you know, have all of these elements now. Yeah. And, and, you know, let me, let me be clear. If it were me and that were happening to me, I would want someone to video because, I mean, some of these videos are leading to prosecution. And some of these videos are proving that these deaths are not justified. And so if it were me, I, I, would, want, I would want the presence of a video. Would I want the presence of that video all over social media? No, no. And, and I and I think it's it's. You know, I was just discussing this with someone the other day, and we talked about back when you know Emmett Till. You know, this was back in in the in the 40s when when he was murdered, and his mother she wanted the image of his body shown because she wanted America to see what had happened to her son. She made a conscious choice. A famous photograph. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was one photograph, 
and she made a conscious choice where how she wanted to present that photograph to the public. No one made that choice for her. And it didn't get leaked out before she was able to make that decision. And that picture, you know, that picture was under her control. Nowadays, it's not under anyone's control. You know, the young lady who live streamed uh, with Philando, she, she, she chose to do that. She did make that decision. Um, but, you know, with the Sterling example, that was already up on social media. It could have been before they even, you know, knew anything about the circumstances of his death. Yeah. You know, so I, I feel bad that, that anyone would have to see that. I wouldn't want to see my father in that position. I would be grateful that a video existed. Would I want to continue to see it over and over and over again, continuously shared, you know, ad nauseum? I don't think I would personally. I, you know, that, that kind of breaks my heart for them that they have, because it broke my heart to see the image and he's a stranger to me. Right. The, uh, the, the, you, you always talk about, Todd, the information overload, like, you know the the, the, oh, yeah. the internet's like a fire hose being poured into your mouth. You know there's you can't mm-hmm. you can hardly drink. You know you don't get a drop of it, and you just get you just get overwhelmed. And so that's this the the, the I was watching the press conference this morning in Dallas, and um, the police chief and the mayor were talking, but in, but ABC felt that th- I wasn't going to be engaged enough to just watch these two intelligent men talking, I had to have all of this nonsense, oh, I shouldn't say nonsense, but all of this action footage of, of you know, I felt terrible for, for the photographers yesterday. You don't know where you're shooting. You don't know what you're shooting. You don't know anything. Mm-hmm. If you're, what you're shooting is significant. Oh, it's, it's just, you know, chaos. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, the only thing right. I can liken it to is what it would have been like when the plane hit the hit the building yeah, and everybody's awesome. running for their life. Yeah. But at least in that, right. it, you know, in at least when the plane hit the building, you knew the building was there. But they also didn't know if another plane was going to come plowing into Times Square. So people are running every which way but loose to try to take cover. And that's what that felt like yesterday. It was all this shaky camera footage and whatever. But I kind of felt disrespected by, Chan- by, the, by ABC because they felt that they needed to two-screen what these two men were saying because if by 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock this morning you didn't know what happened... I don't think you needed to see the shaky footage off to the right. Yeah, and I and I don't know what. Yeah, it could they add, were either. they were relying on that on that salacious image imagery again. Right. You it, know, it, instead of focusing on and, and I watched on a different network, Tom, but as soon as those men were done talking, it was right back to you know the the cell phone video that had been taken and. Um, then, and not only now, it's not only the cell phone video, but we're going to put a bright, you know, we're going to alter it and put a bright light around the person that is, is the assailant. And, you know, we're going to do, we're going to manipulate this video in different ways. And we're going to, you know, so it, again, like you said, the information overload, it, it's kind of frustrating when you think about it because you don't, your mind doesn't know where to settle on this. Even last night when I kept listening and, people were making assumptions about who this suspect was. And they, they, they put up an image of a man who wasn't even involved. Yeah, that was, you know, I was ready. Now, I was now, about to go there. Yeah. Now but, this man's picture is everywhere, and he was actually cooperating with the police. And he had nothing to do with anything. However, you know, because he, you know, had this weapon on him and, you know, they put his image up and they shot, they shot to that conclusion. And now... This, this man, he had nothing to do with it at all. The media didn't wait for, for that explanation. They just went straight for, um, you know, what what grabs people's attention. Well, the Dallas media tweeted his picture out and said he was a suspect. Can you help us find the subject? And well, then that's it, and then it, that lit the fuse to have the picture spread like wildfire. Yeah, I don't think you get to yeah, look at I, this. Yeah, I watched so many. I watched so many times where he was called. You know, the police are very careful. They, they call someone a person of interest before they call him a suspect. I, I, I heard, like, so many times this man being referred to as a suspect, as a suspect, as a suspect. When the police referred to him as a person of interest and then, you know, that, that term suspect was used irresponsibly. And, and it's, again, but it's information overload. How do you, how do you funnel it? 
how do you funnel it? How do you possibly funnel all of this information? And I feel bad for the reporters and for the journalists who are trying to figure out how to funnel it because you have a story that you have to tell. Well, you know, I read, you know, I read, a, I read yesterday, um, or yeah, as soon as this thing broke, somebody who had covered a mass shooting. Uh, tweeted out, and then it was retweeted by a bunch of other people, kind of the keys that she had learned in covering a mass shooting. And one of them was to not focus on the police while this is going on because the information will be incomplete and they're really busy. Um, And that to focus on victims and interviewing people who were there because you... Because those are your... Those eyewitness accounts, you are never going to have a bigger story standing right in front of you than this and wasting your time um, standing and waiting for the police to come out and talk to you is a, is a waste of your time. Um, and then, and, and, and I thought that was a really, that was one of many things that she suggested, but having covered enough floods or shootings or whatever, uh, um, and you know, a shooting, a simple shooting where somebody shoots somebody, it's a domestic dispute and it turns into a murder or whatever. We've all covered them. Um, you know, we all, we stand there and we, sometimes we get hyper-focused waiting for the cops to tell us what happened and not take the time to walk up the street and say, Hey, what do you know? Do you live in this neighborhood? Whatever, you know, and, and engage the yeah. public to what was going on around us and, and around this situation because I don't know, maybe they know, maybe they know something. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're going to I mean, it's just the more information you gather, the better story you can fashion when the time is to, to have yeah. it be printed or posted. But we do spend a lot of time waiting for the police to come down on mountain from mountain to tell us yeah. what, what's going on. And sometimes that's a, uh, you know, we shouldn't chase that. The, her suggestion was that if there's a press, you're waiting for a press conference, only send one reporter, send your other reporters to go talk to people who were nearby yeah. to wherever the shooting happened. So you can get their stories. So, yeah. I, I used to make, I used to make it a point when at all possible you know, I've had too much experience covering shootings, and you you know, you get the scan of call, the shots fired, um, you run out to the scene, neighbors are all standing around, people are standing around. I would always try to make it a point to go to a neighbor, and and not even not even act like I'm a reporter, you know, just stay real quick, them and report, and just like have a conversation with them, you know, and and talk to them like I was the next door neighbor, and, and you would get. They may not add anything to your the facts of the story, so to speak, but they would always had a commentary from someone who had to live through whatever just happened in that neighborhood, and and you get a lot of perspectives that way. That that and again, it adds humanity to a story that a lot of times we just we just see a story, but there's humanity in these stories, especially when you're talking about people are losing lives. You know this. It's not just a story, and it's not just something that, you know, just get, just get it out there irresponsibly. There's, there's some humanity in these stories. Yeah, and that's the thing that I, I, I strive to, to teach. You know, our staff is a lot younger now, and Meg would be the, the member of that young staff now. Mm-hmm. But when the emotion and the humanity when we cover these kinds of tragedies is your focus and where your attention should lie, um, and that's that's anything. It doesn't have to be an officer. It's not an officer. It's any kind of story. It doesn't matter what kind of story it is. But, you know, it's every kind of story. And to connect with your readers and tell the story as accurately as you can. Um, so, I think that's where my question comes in. Um, bringing humanity into the story. How how do I get invited into the conversation if there? If, if there is respect and if there is appreciation for the images, but yet the media makes people uncomfortable, how do we build trust as a local media so that people can tell their stories and feel comfortable with me taking their pictures? Is there a way that, that I can build trust with a community that you know, I'm not necessarily I, part of? I, I wish I could tell you, but you know, for me personally, it, it was, you know, I, these people didn't just see my face when it was time for me to cover a story or if it was time for me to cover something negative. 
Um, you know, I, this is a personal thought I had yesterday. And again, I'm coming from someone who's been in the media. We don't see the media in black neighborhoods until it's something negative. I don't. I I, I. 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 think I'm. I'm only going to quibble with you. I think that's a tad bit of an overstatement. I think it in general it can be true. I think it can be. I think it. I think it can be. I think that can be true. I. I don't disagree with you, but I think that is a flat out generalization statement. I don't think it's true. I think that we try to do is a, a good job on telling good news stories. Also, do we do as good a job as we should? No, but we try. Right, and 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 we, and we we would we would love to. I think see you you would have better relationships with a lot of people, especially people the, the people who were in that room last night. You know, if they saw you on a more regular basis, they knew who you were, they knew your name, they didn't just see you. You know, when uh, you know there's something something yeah. like this happens. For example, do, you know, do you have a personal relationship with? this person or that person or the other person, you know, can you tell, can you continue to tell stories from this group of people outside of this tragedy? You know, right. can you come back next week and find a different story? Can you come back the week after and find a different story? And I, I think that's where the mistrust is, is because, again, I, I, I built relationships with a lot of people, but they saw me all the time. And, and they, they saw me telling stories that, you know, I didn't have to wait for a press release to tell, or I didn't have to wait for, uh, you know, a tragedy. I'm, I'm checking in with these people all the time and talking about what's happening in their world and talking about what's going on in their communities and letting them tell their own stories and letting them have a discourse with the media outside of just when we're there to cover something like this. That that goes a long way. Yeah. I, I I could be I could be making a swift generalization, but I think that's the perception. You know, the perception is we see the T V cameras and we see, you know, the news cameras when when these things happen, but then, you know, when else? Again, that could just be perception. But for a lot of people perception is reality. Well, that's what I was just gonna say, was that it doesn't really Yeah. I I, I think that I don't want to throw TV under the bus, but I think sometimes TV does us a disservice because I think I think that the people miss with the conversion. Let's say, OK, with the conversion of people, the newspaper shrinking and going to digital and people settling for the 10 o'clock news and the the 14 minutes worth of news that they put in and which ends up being eight minutes of local news, which ends up being four minutes of weather and four minutes of local news. And then they have to put what's on top at the, uh, what's salacious at the top. I think that you people, because when we go to stuff, people go, what TV station are you from? And so that they right. default, they always to, TV. so yeah. they default, they default to TV. And then, you know, we did this, we just did the story about Douglas Park and how much better, you know, how much the, the, all that neighborhood, white, black, all this stuff, people are trying to do Douglas Park, make Douglas Park better. You know, we threw a lot of resources into that story. Steve did a great job. I asked Steve to come upstairs, but he's busy with another story. Um, and so, but those stories kind of get fly under people's radar, I think sometimes because it's not on TV. And as, mm -hmm. a, as a result, you know, um, you know, I think they might be, they, maybe they do us a disservice or maybe public habits of consuming media do us a, a disservice. Now, I'm not going to say for, oh, sure. I'm not going to say that we do as good a job as we should of covering every community. It doesn't matter if it's the Hispanic community, it's the, the, the kids who play violin community, the African-American community, you know, draw me a, a demographic and I'll tell you that we probably don't do as good a job as we should covering it mm -hmm. but i i don't think it's for a lack of trying or want to on our part um yeah. but that doesn't really matter when the perception is is that we only show up when when somebody's bleeding on the pavement which is you know sometimes yeah. and, true and my advice you know my advice is meg if you when you were there yesterday if you were able to get any business cards or if you were able to make any connections with anyone there you know cultivate those relationships you know, well, I think the only reason why she, people, 
the reason why she was, I think, not to, she had cultivated a relationship through the during basketball season with the, she had talked to the pastor at basketball games and started a conversation about basketball, so he knew who she was. So I think that's the reason yeah, why that's, she. That's how, and that's her answer. And that's, that's and how, that's, that's how it happened. And that's how I got back into the, the years ago. There was a funeral where they kicked all the, they wouldn't let all the media in and and. The only the only people who weren't of color in that f- funeral in Rock Island were me, Chris Miner, and Mark Schwebert. Yes, that and that's and exactly are, how it happens. I mean, Todd, you guys have been here a long time. People know your face, even if they don't even remember your name. They may know your face when you when you come to things because you've been here. You know, you've been in this community for a very long time. They know your work. They trust you. When you're new, it's hard. <laughs> It, sometimes it takes a lot of years to build that up. I was just getting to that point and then cut out of the business. But it, it, it really is a matter of, like he said, you built that relationship over basketball. Now that person trusts you enough to say, you know what, you can stay in the room and continue to take your pictures. Everyone else has to go. You know, and, and that, you can't even really teach that. I mean, that, that you can't teach being a people person, you know. You can't really teach a journalist how to, you know, cultivate people you know I, I ended up becoming really good friends with a lot of people who were sources at one point you know or i considered them sources at one point now they're dear friends to me mm-hmm. you know so i got to know them over the years through news stories and, and it that that's something that's hard to it, it doesn't happen easily i mean there are people who have been reporting in this community for years who still aren't trusted you know or who still <laughs> I'm not touching that one with kidding. a 10-foot pole. We won't name names. You know, I mean, you, you, we all know it's true. Yeah, you know, we, we don't know have it's to name true. or anything, but right. it's, you know, and I, and I hear it all the time from people. You know, they'll they'll come up to me and say that so-and-so, so-and-so, you know, doesn't know what they're doing, or they always get things wrong, or they're this or that. That could just be perception. It don't even have to be reality. Yeah. But as soon as that perception, as soon as that perception, the media, we already, I mean, we're already we're already climbing an uphill battle. I mean, we're the media, you know, nobody, yeah. nobody really wants, <laughs> wants the media, you know, it, it's, it's kind of one of those things that it's already, you already kind of have a bad perception going in anyway. I think the I think the bottom line that I guess if I were going to draw a conclusion to the original question is how do we how do we cover these stories is build relationships within the community uh, honest honest relationships not pandering relationships not exactly um, exactly um, I keep forgetting the word patronizing patronizing relationships geez if I could remember patronizing I'd tattoo it on my arm do you know what a good tattoo artist there Brandy. I, get, don't be, I know a few <laughs> don't don't be patronizing to people. I could tattoo it on my hand so I that, can remember. That's true. But that's it's true. true. Treat people yeah. treat people with respect. And um, you know, I know that when I go to events that you are involved in, um, you know, because of your and I relationship of working together and being friends, that that I have instant credibility when I walk in the room. If you're involved with it and people see that we're friends, they're like, "Oh, he must not be too much of an idiot." Um, yeah, and I, I can say I can say because I trust your work and I'm very familiar with your work, and I can say, you know, I can trust him. He's gonna, you know, and he's gonna tell the story accurately, or we're gonna have a reporter. Not every there's a lot of reporters I know very well who, who I can't say that about, and I won't say that about. But <laughs> you know, nine times out of ten, when it comes to dispatch, I can say yes, I know that person. I worked with that person. They're a great journalist. They're a great photographer. You know, they're they're going to do the, they're going to do the right thing. And you know, then I put my credibility out there as well on top. But it is about those trusted relationships everybody just wants to be treated with respect everybody wants a mutual respect everybody wants to be if you find yourself in the news all you want is to be treated like a human being and you want to be treated fairly and i think i think that, that go ahead you'll build trust yeah i think the 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 thing that uh that meg has going for her early in her career that she didn't we didn't have to teach her was that she's a good listener 
And so she listens to people. So when they talk to her, she 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 at least appears to be listening. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think she's so, slipped yeah. into a mild hypothermic state right That's now. That's right, because so. the, 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 the photo, yeah, the photo studio is freezing. Yeah, I mean, she's a good listener, and so she's not necessarily interested in, you know, she doesn't have to come in with a, a quip about whatever, you know, because there's nothing that, like, for instance, Todd and I can't show up to anything that involves uh, an African-American man that has been shot, arrested, or whatever, and pretend to have any kind of, uh, we can have empathy, uh, we can try to understand, but we, we, we really don't know what it feels like to be that, so there's no reason to pretend yeah. that we do. We can try to don't learn. Try to, don't try too hard to relate. Don't right. try too hard to relate. Yeah. That's a, that's that's fabulous advice. Yeah, it is. Most most I mean, when I used to show up to things, I there were things I couldn't even relate to. You know, even if everybody in the room is African American, there still could be something there that I can't relate to. And I'm not going to sit there and, and, like you said, patronize people trying to act like I know, you know, what's happening if I don't. But I can sit there and I can listen and I can shut my mouth. Most of the time, people will give you your story. You don't even have to ask them very many questions. They're yeah. going to get your story. You guys will sit there long enough and you're going to get that shot. You're going to get that dish. You don't even have to pose people or wait for people to do something. Sit there long enough with your mouth shut. You get it, right? Yeah. That yeah. Be, I used to do a story. So I wouldn't go in and ask a lot of questions. I would sit there. I would sit there. Sometimes I would sit there and I wouldn't even write anything. I would maybe have a recorder on so I wouldn't have to look like, you know, I'm just writing everything down. And then I'd go listen to it later. Just sit there. I think that's... Uh Fabulous advice for all young journalists. It doesn't yeah. matter what the story is. Doesn't I think a lot of what we're talking about? It doesn't really even. It doesn't have to be uh, pertain to the current news of the day or the African American American community. It just means being a good storyteller. And if you're a good storyteller, you're going to tell the 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 story, uh, you know, as best you can. Um, but right. it's it's these. I, there were, I was listening to um, This American Life, and the, the the storyteller to get to the point told the story of this African American uh, guy who was riding his bike with a with a, a, a white kid on his on his handlebars, and apparently the long and short of it is that they, they keep getting pulled over whenever he brings him home from a play date for his girlfriend. They keep cops keep in New York keep pulling the poor guy over, and it was just like. And what really kind of turned the tide was the little kid got mad. Was like enough, you know. We just you know, and it was a it was a it was just a fabulous story into the mindset of the people who are getting pulled over and 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 right. and, and the and the pull because the, the the rider was riding with the police and the thing that the the punchline to the story was that as they were pulling away the cops turned to each other even having the mother on the phone and everybody explained the situation that everything is above board they got two blocks away and said yeah it's still suspicious so i yeah. you know yeah. uh, you know and that, and that that goes back to the whole beginning of the conversation. They don't look at that person because he's a black person and that's a white child. He automatically must be doing something wrong. Right. You know, they, they, aren't, they aren't looking at him through human eyes. They're looking at him automatically because of the color of his skin as a suspect. You know, he gets that, he gets that prejudgment before he even opens his mouth, before he does anything wrong. And, and that's, that's the crux of the problem in the country right now is that, you know, black men especially, they're, they're not being humanized. They're already looked at as dangerous, something to fear. You know, you have to come to my window because I'm a black man with your gun already drawn on a traffic stop. You know, it's, you're, you're already prepared to hurt me. You're, you're already thinking I'm a threat. Before I even say anything, because you're already got your gun drawn, you're already pointing your gun, and I haven't even done anything yet. You know, you take, you take 
the humanity, you take the human out of the person and they're already considered a threat simply because they fit a certain profile. And I think that's the issue that we're coming back to over and over again. You know, why have these individuals had to die for these minor, even some of them aren't offenses, but minor offenses, so to speak, whereas if they were a different color, would they have even had that issue? The police officers, would their guns even be out? You know, would they be dealing with this person with such aggression and such force? You know, that that's the question that I think we are, why we're marching and why we're advocating for social justice is because we see over and over again, I'm already a suspect if I'm black, regardless of what I really do or what I really say, you know, that you, I'm already branded before you, before I even get to open my mouth. Yeah, tonight's march will will offer Meg an opportunity to build some relationships and mm-hmm. and um, yeah. and uh, hopefully it will be peaceful. And uh, I mean, I don't suspect that it won't be peaceful. I probably shouldn't have said I, I, that. I mean, everything has a chance or probability, but I, we've had marches like this in the Quad Cities. You, you've seen them before. You know, this isn't something that we're new to. We've done this before in the Quad Cities, and so I think the people who are organizing it, they are very intent on peace, you know, having a peaceful demonstration. And if it happens to not be peaceful, it won't be because of anyone, I think, involved in the protest itself. I think if it it turns out to be non-peaceful, it'll be because of outside forces. Well, and that's that's kind of where I was going because of the whole Dallas situation. You would have never thought nobody who showed up to that thing yesterday in Dallas ha- had an, had one inkling the fact that someone was going to open fire uh, on on police. I, I mean, I well, listen. You go, you go to the, look at Ferguson. You go to the movies. You go to the movies, and you don't think someone will ever walk into a movie. Well, you know, or go to a, or go to a nightclub. Yeah, you send your child to school. You would never think somebody would. We, we can never predict what a tyrant or what a terrorist or what an unstable person will do, but we also don't live our lives in fear. You know, we can't cower in fear every time something happens because then that, that person wins. Yeah. They get the exact result that they want for us to stop. Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, in Ferguson, I know that uh, a lot of community members said it was outside agitators who were you know, kind of stemming, uh, you know, the riots and things like that, too. But Yeah. Anytime you're met with aggression, you, you typically return it with aggression. You know, if you have peaceful people walking down the street, marching, saying things, and they're met by aggressive anything, whether it's authorities that meet them aggressively or counter-protesters that meet them aggressively or anyone that approaches even a peaceful person aggressively, what do you typically do? You typically go into defense mode and you get right back aggressive with them. And then, you know, sometimes all hell breaks loose. But I know the people who, at least the people here locally, for sure, everyone is, they're marching for exactly what we said. It's for solidarity. That's all we want. We want, we want equality of justice and we really want everybody you know, to come together on this issue. It's not just a black problem. This is a problem, period, in America. Yeah. And, and if, if people can't see that, if they only feel like it's a problem that, that, that is our problem, a black problem, that, that's the issue right there. This is something, I mean, look how it's turning our country upside down. In every community that it happens, it turns that community upside down. Ferguson, Missouri will never be the same. Dallas will never be the same. All these communities will never be the same. Do you know, I think that, were you working for the paper when there was the officer-involved shooting in East Moline? Yes. I remember that finally. I was kind of new to the area, but I was. I remember having to go out onto that scene of what erupted after that. But what, what, what erupted after that was kept controlled... By the religious leaders of the of East Moline and, and Rock Island County, that they, I just remember that even though it it got very tense, it never turned Nothing in. Happened. It never turned into people burning cars and and doing whatever. 
And I always, I've always been really proud of the Quad Cities for being able to take what could have been, you know, uh, um, a really horrible situation, and uh, it was controlled and and listened to, and everybody was, you know, I can't begin to remember all the details, but I thought that I thought that the Quad Cities in general. Um, was uh, has always been kind of a place of reason. Yeah, it's a credit to our community. We live in a great community. We live in a very accepting community. I, I personally don't know anyone in this community who does not want what's good. I personally don't know anyone. I know there are a lot of people here that don't want what's good, but by and large, the Quad City can really really be proud of the type of people that we have here. We have some of the most accepting people and we have such a diverse community of people. However, we also can't ignore the fact that we do have issues that happen here. And I'm proud of the fact that when something arises, we can come together as a community and we can be peaceful. I don't expect anything but peace. I don't expect anything but people who care about what's happening in their own community and care about what's happening in the nation coming together. You know, I don't expect anything less from the Quad City. And it's, it's to our credit that we can say that and that we can do that. Well, I think that uh, you were the right person to call, Brandy. For to talk about this because it's a t- it's a touchy subject. I mean, had Meg and Todd and it I sat in the, sat in the studio and tried to discuss relation relationships with the media as three white people by ourselves in a studio in an echo chamber, that would have been completely and utterly pointless. Effect. No, it doesn't. <laughs> so I think that hopefully you can, that you can talk about it from a textbook angle. You know, yeah. you can always talk about it from a textbook angle, or you can talk about it from, you know, an angle of, of, of real life and what real human beings are going through. And, you know, we, we in the quiet cities are, our community is, is just like every other community on, you know, in the United States, you know, we have people who just want to live and do the right thing and be good people. And then we have a small element of our community that, you know, as someone put it to me, is hell bent on destruction. So you, you know, what, what what we can do as those of us on the side of good is make sure our voices are louder. Make sure we use our voices and don't sit back and let the negative win. You know, we have to be the ones that are out here speaking up. You know, I, there's probably going to be counter protesters today. Oh, my God. You know, there always is. I, I, I just drove across the bridge. Not too long ago, there was already um, a young lady standing out there with a sign. I didn't even know what her sign, I couldn't even read what her sign said, but I have a feeling that she's counter-protesting in some way. You know, on, a com- on a completely personal note, taking away my, my objectivity for a second, I don't, there, to me, social justice and backing the badge are not mutually exclusive. Making sure that policemen what, are safe, that, again? that backing the badge, being, being, being supportive of police officers and the risks they take every day is not, is not separate from, 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 from wanting social justice for everyone. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. People draw a line between the two that if you back the badge, you're anti-black, if you're anti, if you're, you know, and I don't understand where the, why those lines are drawn. You you're going to say something. That's such a narrow-minded view. And I really think that that's how people rationalize their own narrow-mindedness. Because I was mortified by what I saw in Dallas. And my heart aches by those lives because those lives matter to me. And they should matter to America. However, what I saw with Alton and what I saw with Philando, those lives matter equally to me. I'm mortified by that as well. I cannot be mortified by one and excuse the other as it's a normal um, course of business in America. I, I can't. Those two, those, those two sets of lives are all important. However, when we, we say black lives matter because we see this epidemic happening right now. You know, when, when October comes around and I 
and I talk about breast cancer in October, it's not because none of the other cancers are killing people or none of the other cancers matter. It's because the focus at that time is on this one problem. That's okay. Black Lives Matter. The focus is on one problem. Right. And you think you used to be a writer. You thought you'd be a writer. Like you writer the way you weave that narrative with the October and the that cancer. Well that's done. very well yeah. done. Well played. Well played. I'm still a writer. I'm well, still a writer. Well, that's true. That's true. You're never not a writer. You're never that's not right. a photographer. You're never not a storyteller. I, I, I'm not, you're not going to hear me saying all lives matter. You're going to hear me saying black lives matter because in my country right now, that's the epidemic. I do believe that everyone's life is important. Your life is just as important as mine. My life is just as important as yours. However, in this country right now, if all lives matter, we wouldn't really be having this discussion right now. Hmm. Because when, 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 when black men were, are being murdered, we wouldn't have to sit here and beg for justice or sit here and pound the pavement just to get justice. The justice would be swift, and it's not. That's why we have to say Black Lives Matter because we're seeing in this country right now we're trying to fight for that. We're trying to we're trying to get to a point where we can truthfully say all lives matter. We can say all lives matter right now, and and we know that it's not the truth. Different uh, people have different perspectives, but that that that's my perspective. And trust me, in in the beginning, I thought it sounded really great to say all lives matter. I really thought that that was a wonderful thing to say, but I I I, I can't even now say it with a straight face because we've been proven so wrong time and time again these black lives aren't mattering yeah i think you know, that it i think to, it comes down to, to stand a, up and march. i think that it's a matter of for some people it's a matter of semantics when you that if you say i'm just supposing that if you say that the person who is predisposed to not like the the term black lives matters is supposing that when you say that then you're anti-white is that the is that... I think it just threatens. I think it just. It's, it's amazing to me how equality threatens people. It's amazing to me how sometimes you can talk about just wanting equal justice. You just want to be equal. You don't want to be superior. You don't want to be inferior. You just want to be equal. It's amazing sometimes how, for some people, that is a threat to their privilege. If I'm the same as you, you're all of a sudden something less. That's amazing to me, you know, and I think that's what happens with Black Lives Matter. If I'm all of a sudden saying Black Lives Matter, in your mind, it's a threat to your life. And we're not saying that your life doesn't matter. We, we, we would never, that, that's, not the, that's not the inference here, but it's a threat to my superiority or my privilege if all of a sudden we become equal. You know, I hope that makes sense. Well, it does. It make, does. You know, yeah, very well said, Brandy. I very well said. Some people will I, never admit. Some people will never. You will never hear anybody admit that. But when you sit and really listen, that's what gets conveyed. You know, I'm not. I'm not trying to threaten anyone's place in America. I just want, <laughs> as a black person, I want to be viewed as equal, and I want my existence on this, on this, in this country, to be just as important as the next person's. Uh, existence in this country that's all i think that's all any of us want well i think it's a, i think it's a that's I th it. your perspective on both on all these different topics which all funnel into the same topic um are the reason why we called you and and uh does anybody have anything to add are no we, i think are we we're good yeah. looking forward to seeing you tonight we're good brandy thank you so much for uh Taking the time out of your day, you're very busy, and 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 to talk I with us. The platform. Thank you. Hey, no problem. We've got listeners in New Zealand. Yeah. Our new our New Zealand our New Zealand. How does this work? You can find us on iTunes. That's right. Your succinct your succinct ability to get to the point is so much better than mine. That's all she cares about. That's, That's what she cares. Where can I find it? You can find it on <laughs> iTunes. There'll be a link on uh, our Facebook pages. I'll more than likely catch it off of one of your Facebook pages. There, there you go. go. All yeah. right. Well, when you, we'll let you know when it's posted. And we're on iTunes and SoundCloud. Yep. And we have a blog. And uh, we appreciate your stopping in and talking to a... Your candor uh, and, and your, your honesty candor. and... Oh. Yeah. 
Always happy to help you guys. Always happy to. All right. Thanks, Brandy. All right. Thanks, Brandy. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Talking Pictures Podcast is a production of The Dispatch, The Rock Island Argus, and QCOnline.com. To see some of the photos and videos discussed in our podcast, be sure to go to talkingpicturespodcast.blogspot.com. Talking Pictures is produced by Todd Meisner, Paul Coletti, and Todd Walvert. Thanks to Laura Anderson-Shaw, Meg McLaughlin, Laura Frames, and Randy Fisk. The music was provided by Kevin McLeod at www.incomputech.com. Make sure you subscribe to Talking Pictures on iTunes or SoundCloud.